stories are about the id unleashed. They're about the wildness contained in all of us. I think stories kind of have some kind of magical effect in the world. I think it's really hard to live without stories. And if somebody tells you, like, this is the way you're going to end up, you're lucky if you can forget that. You know, there's me, and then there's writer guy me, and then there's me working, which is the absence of me. It's just story. Had no idea how to write a novel, didn't know if it would ever come to fruition. Was working at a vet and kind of lint rolling puppy hair and cat dander off myself. They're almost like really shy animals. They will come out of the woods, but you have to stay very still. And you have to pretend like you're not interested in them. Artists tend to, like, put their fingers in the wounds, in the silences. I believe in the role of literature as a, as a catalyst for dialogue and, and, and new forms of, of thinking. All the stuff I'm interested in is thrown into the washing machine that is my brain, and it's put on spin. Good morning and welcome to Between the Covers. I'm David Naiman, your host. Today's guest writer, Kevin Samsel, is an integral part of the literary community here in Portland, Oregon. He's not only the small press curator and events coordinator at Powell's Books, he was the editor of the Portland Noir Fiction Anthology, curated this year's Wordstock Literary Festival, was in charge of Lit Hop PDX, Portland's inaugural literary bar crawl, and he is the publisher of the Micropress Future Tense Books. His own books include the collections Beautiful Blemish and Creamy Bullets and his memoir A Common Pornography. His work has appeared in Tin House, Salon, McSweeney's, Best Sex Writing 2012, and Best American Essays 2013. And he's here today on Between the Covers to talk about his novel, This is Between Us, from Tin House Books. Welcome to Between the Covers, Kevin Samsel. Thanks, David. So... And this is between us. It feels like it does this really great job of capturing that intoxicating beginning of first love. We get the all-night phone calls, mm-hmm. um, the sense of sort of sweet monomania and, and, and possessiveness. And yet we quickly see that this isn't going to just be that. These are – this is a couple – in their 30s, who have both been in marriages before, mm-hmm. who have kids who are entering puberty. And um, it's a really interesting place to be to, in in terms of a book. Can you tell us a little bit about the couple? Yeah. Um, like you said, they are in their 30s. They live in Portland, which was a, also a conscious choice to, to set the book in, in Portland, which I haven't really done uh, that much before when I write something. I usually don't talk about the location a lot. A couple of years ago when I, I was I was working on an anthology, uh, the Portland Noir anthology, that really sort of opened my eyes like how how great, how like special and how cool that was to like have stories that were set, you know, in the place that you live. And it really made me appreciate that that kind of thing. So so it was really fun for me to to have some Portland references in the book and and to do that as well. Um, the couple uh, they they are both parents. Um, the man has a son, and the woman has a daughter. I was really interested in that whole mixed family sort of element of the story as well. Um, I have a son as well. My son's nineteen now. I really enjoy hearing about people's parenting adventures or misadventures. Uh, being a parent, you know, like. As your kid gets older and you 
hang out with other parents or talk to other parents, it's always really funny to compare notes about like what their kids are like and what they're into and stuff like that. And so uh, that was something that I wanted to explore too, kind of like talk a little bit about the kids, you know, from 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 the parents' perspectives, which is sometimes yeah almost like a clueless perspective. <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't really know exactly what you're what they're thinking, but you're trying to. You're well, trying I, to I thought probe. you picked the perfect age for the kids too, because one of the the feelings I get when I read the novel is a sense of how fragile life is, but also finding love, like how, and I think that's something you realize with accumulated experience. So you have these older people who, who have a lot of past haunting their current relationship, but also a sense of appreciation that who knows how long this will last. And you also have chosen children who are just at the phase when they're starting to self-individuate and push away from their parents. So Mm -hmm. even that relationship sort of feels tenuous and like it's it's going to change in an unpredictable way sometime very soon. Yeah, I think like being a parent and and raising a kid, it's almost that there are these kind of weird parallels with like a with like a love affair where you know the kid is really you know your, your child is really enamored with you. You know they they look up to you, and you know that that will hopefully last for a while, <laughs> but usually when they get to be about 13 or 12 or whatever, uh, you know, sometimes 16, they, they start to, uh, you know, get a little bit more distant and, you know, and that happens in relationships sometimes too, you know, um, uh, you start to become a little bit more of a individual or, you know, you kind of have these, these grow- growing pains basically, you know, whether it's a relationship or like a teenager growing up and um so that that was uh that was something i was trying to to capture uh for sure because it's um it's it's something that i think a lot of people relate to that the whole thing of being in a relationship or being in a familial relationship and and feeling that you know some somebody you know like distancing them themselves, you know, or just trying to And like, even while the couple themselves are, are moving closer, distancing mm-hmm. themselves from each other too at, at various moments. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that I, I think the book that I appreciate a lot about the book too, is that it, um, it doesn't feel like it comes with a, an agenda about what love is. It feels like it's, you can be in love and you can also feel lonely or you can be in love and be seized by fear uh, you can be a lo- in love and also be self-sabotaging at the same time. It's it's you do this great kaleidoscope around around all these various ways of contradictory being. I think. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really like uh, love is such a <laughs> such an endless sort of uh, topic, such an endless kind of minefield. You know, it's um, everyone has their own idea of what the ideal love is and and how to operate in a in a love relationship and i tried to uh you know capture a lot of the different sort of nuances um the book is made as as you know the book is made up of of about 200 short chapters <laughs> and so yeah. uh you know nothing more than two pages some of them as as short as a paragraph and i tried to i was one of the challenges, one of the things that I was trying to do is, is to try to capture 
something slightly different, some sort of new aspect or or, or nuance or layer of um, of this emotional state, you know, of of, of love or being in love um, or heartbreak, and uh, to illustrate that in each one of the like two hundred, <laughs> you know pieces in the book so it uh, it does almost feel like you're flipping through a photo album of a relationship and you're looking at these little brief snapshots of moments mm -hmm. was that is that intended yeah um i i I really like being able to to try to capture a scene uh, or capture a moment in a in a short scene in a paragraph or a couple of paragraphs i think that's something that I got to practice a little bit with my own life. The, my previous book, The uh, Common Pornography, the memoir, uh, is um, very similar. It's uh, a lot of um, really short chapters. And so um, in a way, that's, it's, it's, a, it's almost like a, almost like a, a, a relative of, of, of this book, like a, a cousin, you know. Yeah. That's, that's all nonfiction, of course, and this is fiction, but... I wanted this to have a similar feel, and I think it does kind of have a similar feel because of the short, you know, the the short uh, um, sort of vignette style, um, and because there is this really personal uh, sort of sort of tone to the book. In case you just tuned in, you're listening to Between the Covers, and we're talking today with Kevin Samsel, the author of This Is Between Us. So, Kevin, why don't we hear a little bit of the prose? Okay. Some of the vignettes. Sure. The book is broken up into five different parts, and they um, each part encompasses a year in the first five years of the relationship. This is a one from the beginning of year two. The park down the street is our park. The old man who works in his garden three houses down is... Our old man. The cafe where we get pumpkin scones on Tuesday mornings is our cafe. Those scones are our scones. That song by Fleetwood Mac is our song. And so is that one by LL Cool J. I took my friend Sarah to the auto parts store on 82nd Avenue so she could get a new battery for her car. You seemed upset when I told you, but you said that nothing was wrong. Finally, before we went to bed, you said, I can't believe you took her to our auto parts store. And this part, I have a lot of parts, um, or several parts anyway, where it's like a conversation. I think a lot of times things are revealed in conversations, of course, especially when you first start going out with someone and you're trying to learn about them and you're like, Oh, what was your first boyfriend like? Or, you know, like, yeah. um, you know, what's, what, what do you, what's your, uh, happiest memory, things like that. So, um, there, there are a lot of moments like that. I told you that I still loved all my past girlfriends. How many is that? You asked. Well, probably not all of them. I said, but five or six for sure. You turned your eyes from me and I could see your shoulders drop. I tried to explain it further. Love is fluid, I think. It doesn't follow timelines. Once it starts, it doesn't end or anything. I mean, it might stop growing, but maybe it just buries itself inside of you when a relationship ends. 
So, like, you can dig it up again if you want to. All of those exes contributed in different ways to make me who I am now. Same with you and your ex-boyfriends. If you never went out with John, you never would have learned to like cool music. I'll always appreciate that about John, you said. But can't you just be thankful? That's part of the love, I said. I always think about who will be at my bedside when I'm dying, you said. What if all my ex-boyfriends were there? I wasn't sure what to think about that. Are they nice, I finally asked. I mean, do you love them? I did, you said, but what's the point of that? The hospital room can only fit so many people. Are they all going to huddle around me and try to hold my hand? I'm claustrophobic. Besides, what's, that's what the funeral is for. So you just want me there, I asked. You answered back quickly. I don't want anyone else to see me die. It will be our own private moment. Um, there are a couple of uh, parts early in the book where it, it kind of just quickly describes um, the children. My son, Vince, was droopy-eyed, sweet, a kid with soft, almost chubby edges. He wore friendship bracelets and always wanted to be useful. He hardly took naps after the age of four. He was a tornado with Legos and remote-control cars circling around him. He turned his attention later to skateboards and cop shows and European metal bands that released techno remixes. He sighed more, smiled less as he got older. His black hair was a cowlick in front and a cowlick by his right ear. He hated his hair. He was named after his mother's father, who used to like me, but doesn't anymore. It's always strange when I see my former father-in-law now and call him by that name, the tension tightening the air around us. That, that second vignette around dying where there's it ends with um, wanting to be just together, the two of them, but mm-hmm. with this wondering about whether all the ex-boyfriends would be there, <laughs> that feels like that encapsulates the two meanings of the title in a way because we have this is between us sounds like this is something private but of course Mm -hmm. in this book it's not private it's being observed by their children it's also feels haunted by both of their pasts Mm -hmm. and their fears around the other person's past and then it's also about all the things that really is between them the things that keep them from connecting at the same time and that that feels like an encapsulation of of the book and Oh yeah, a couple hundred words. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess you're right. I think um, there is a lot of baggage, as some people would call it, you know. And uh, it, it's it's weird. I think um, some people sort of think of 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 that stuff as being kind of a negative force in a relationship, the the previous relationships and and things like that. I personally don't feel like that's. Um, uh, a bad thing. I think that um, I, I, I try to convey this in the way I write about the characters too. That everyone, you know, whether they have had bad relationships in the past or have made mistakes in love in the past, and that's all a part of who we are as people and who these people are as the characters in the book. And so, I always think it's a little weird sometimes when people have relationships and they and they kind of judge the other person too much on what they did in the past and they sort of let that bother them i've always felt like you have to let people you know have the have their own experiences and 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 make whatever mistakes they 
they make and you know because all of that stuff that happens in a person's past is what makes them you know what they what they are now so i'm not a a a psychologist or or a relation you know like a relationships expert i just i just tried to um uh pretend to be one (laughs) while while writing this book i guess i don't know well well people i'm sure noticed when they were listening to you reading those vignettes that there are no names that the the male protagonist Mm -hmm. is referring to his lover as you can you tell us about that choice and and what sort of effect you were trying to achieve by by doing that a lot of people uh seem to talk about that that um that part of the book the the second person uh narrative i guess you call it but um i wasn't really conscious of it being something that was different um i think when i first started writing it i uh i wrote it it originally started off like i I wrote like about 10 of these little things like some of the really short paragraph sized ones and it was just like a short story like i'm gonna write like a, a paragraph that you know about this couple i'm gonna write like like 12 paragraphs about this couple each paragraph is going to illustrate some different little thing. And and it was just like a fun story to write. And so I wrote that and then I was like, oh, this, you know, actually, yeah, this, this, was, this was cool. I think I'm just going to keep writing more of these, you know. The way I looked at it almost was like um, more like the language of, um, of what poetry is or what a poem is. So like if you read a book of poems or, or a book of poetry – you see like you and I everywhere because the poems uh, for the most part are personal. You rarely see poems. Well, I, maybe I shouldn't say rarely, but you, you don't. T- to me, the most effective poems are the ones that, that say you and I and, and they're not like, you know, like, like John, John, uh, you know, <laughs> Kennedy said this or, right. you know. It also um, makes it feel like a found object in a weird way too, like you're listening in on – a very private conversation. Yeah. You know, and that's, I just, I just like to, to have an, uh, an, an intimate sort of personal feel to, to how I write. I think that's the kind of writing that I like to read. And I, and I think if I'm writing something and I feel distant from it myself, then it's not as, as engaging for me to write it. So for me to, to write it in this you and I sort of um, style, then it made me feel much more like like me personally was actually part of the book, you know, even though the book is fiction or at least like most of it, or, you right. know, half of it or whatever is fiction. But let me ask about that a little. The, it does feel like a companion piece to your memoir and they're both – they both have short vignettes. Mm-hmm. One is – is nonfiction and one is is fiction, but they both have this confessional quality to them. But in a way, the memoir it feels like has a little bit of a, a cooler tone, and this mm-hmm. has more of a warm tone. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's your own impression yeah. of it, but that warm, sort of tender, fragile tone of the novel makes me as a reader even feel like it's more of a memoir, mm-hmm. even though it's fiction. And I wondered yeah. if you were playing with that confusion between nonfiction and fiction intentionally, <laughs> or if that was something that you just yeah. discovered in the process? Um, I, I wasn't intentionally doing that. I think, uh, I think it, it does, 
it could get confusing for some people who've read my previous work, not just the memoir, but I've, I've also written, you know, essays and, and personal stuff that have appeared on other, uh, websites or magazines. And so a lot of the stuff that people have read from me in the past couple of years has been more nonfiction memoir stuff. So then to put out a whole book of fiction, you know, of course it's probably going to, you know, people are going to start reading it thinking that it's, uh, they, they might get confused at points like, oh yeah, I forgot that this was fiction. Right. <laughs> I mean, obviously when you're writing fiction, even a lot of it is, um, is based on stuff that you've experienced or that you've heard about. So, um, you know, there, there are parts of the book obviously that I, that I have personal experience with either like they're, they're kind of close to something that I've gone through in a relationship or, um, you know, or, or that I've, uh, heard about through, you know, another relationship or something. So uh, there's definitely a lot of real life, I think in, in the, uh, in the novel, but, um, I don't think I was, uh, trying to like slyly, you know, do anything to like, uh, you know, make people think that this was like a disguised memoir or anything because it's not, it's not a disguised memoir. (laughs) In case you just tuned in, we're talking today with Kevin Sampsel about his novel, This Is Between Us. So I wanted to ask a question about a theme that reoccurs in in the novel of of voyeurism. And it feels like there's all these examples of it. Um, Obviously we have the children in a sense, they're always watching their parents falling in love with someone other than their other parent. And, but we also have the, the remembrance of watching their own parents having sex. We have them having sex in the kitchen while watching their kids in the yard, mm-hmm. uh, watching ex-girlfriends from the car, uh, watching the partner with, with the lights on, but then also even imagining being in a reality TV show and, and ha- this great part around, heaven as voyeurism and hell as being unable to see the lives of others. So it feels like it keeps coming back. And I wasn't exactly sure what that was about. And so I wanted yeah. to, I wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, well, that's, yeah, that's, those are really good observations. Um, something that I may have not actually, <laughs> you know, like thought about as I was writing it, like yeah. that there are so many, you know, little parts about like, you know, people watching people or kind of like, I think there's a, the end of one chapter, it says like, um, I feel like we're just keeping an eye on each other or something like that. Right. And, um, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I think that, um, that is, I think that whole thing about like how, if you go to heaven, people who believe in heaven and hell, like, uh, the, the characters think that, um, if you go to heaven, that just means you can kind of watch over, people on earth and, 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 you know, sort of enjoy (laughs) that. And hell is basically being, you know, like uh, locked away somewhere where you don't know where everyone else is or what they're doing. That would be a a pretty good definition of hell, I think, for a lot of people. Because that's one of the things that we, um, that's one of the things that we really cherish in life is to be able to, to, watch other people or share moments with other people or, um, you know, uh, the, the people that we love around us, we want to be able to see, uh, them having, you know, experiences and, 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 and growing. And we want to see these things that, uh, that they do in their life. Cause a lot of times you, 
you can live vicariously through through your love, you know, um, not just with your own life and what you're doing, but like if you're you're married and you're watching your your wife and your husband succeed in what they do, then that can be just as th- as thrilling as anything else. So, but that's yeah, that's a really interesting ob- observation about the whole uh, <laughs> you know like uh, the chapters about where uh, people are kind of spying on each other and yeah. things like that. I also that. wondered if it was partly a product of finding new love as an older couple, and that maybe when you're younger you would just be totally in it without that both nostalgia and self-reflection and th- that observer mind that would be wondering based on all these accumulated other experiences that mm-hmm. you have to sort through at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I think if, if the characters were, um, you know, like 20 or, you know, in their early twenties or 18 or whatever, um, it would be, it would be a much different story i think uh even in those kind of early romances though even in those kind of early romances i think that um people still have a lot of uh baggage whether it's because of the growing up in their family and you know depending on what their family's like and stuff like that that's true um, that's so a, a lot point. of people can still have a lot of drama in their life even by the time they you know turn 18 or whatever but it's definitely different i think for <clears throat> it's definitely different for adults. You know, it's when you get into a relationship when you're in your 30s or 40s, there's there's a lot of uh, history that, you know, you may want to know about or maybe you, maybe you don't want to know about. Were there any specific books you were reading while you were writing this one that you were looking to for inspiration or or, or clues on how you wanted to put it together? Any authors that you were, you were trying to get infused with <laughs> while you were writing? I was reading a lot of poetry. I've kind of uh, rediscovered uh, poetry again recently. Or I think uh, – or I, I almost feel like poetry has had a little bit of a resurgence in the last couple of years in a way, especially locally. And there's a lot of great – there's a lot of great young poets that are coming up and, and even some older poets that I've discovered that I really like a lot. Could you, um, could you name a handful of them for yeah, our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I I discovered uh, Sharon Olds like a year or so ago. I you know I work at Powell's, and so I'm I'm often I'm often shelving books in the poetry section there, and and I see the Sharon Olds books all the time, and it's right by Mary Oliver, and I just didn't really know like that much about her, but somebody read a poem of hers, and I thought like, wow, that's really great, and so um, I started reading her stuff. She writes a lot about relationship stuff. She, her stuff is actually like pretty like nitty gritty kind of in, intense stuff, you know, for a poet who's like now I think in her 60s or 70s maybe. Um, there's a lot of young poets that I, that I like a lot. Uh, Zachary Schomburg, who's a Portland poet. Dan Dan Majors. Uh, ben Mirov. Uh, Gregory Sherrill. Um, there's a book of his that came out on my press, Future Tense Books. Uh, his book is called Monogamy Songs, and in a weird way, like his his book is actually is sort of similar to my book. It's his is more obviously like prose poems, but they're kind of linked prose poems, and it's all about this relationship that he had mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago, and it's like a very turbulent relationship, um, very passionate but very turbulent as well. I think uh, when I was working on my book and I was kind of like getting his book together and like helping him edit his book a little bit, 
before publishing it, I kind of thought like, oh, this is like uh, this is like the the kid brother version of oh, my book. You know, it's like because uh, they're in their their twenties and monogamy songs is 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 kind of a cousin book to <laughs> the next <laughs> to, place to, this. to go after reading. Yeah, this one. yeah, it's really great. Um, but there's so there's a lot of poets that I really liked a lot. I couldn't really find books that have the same style with the short chapters and just being uh, as far as like novels go. So I, I'm not sure like what else to compare it to. But like I said, I was reading a lot of poetry and I think that was um, that was inspiring me. One of the great things I think about poetry is I like reading poetry when I'm writing something because there, there's this sort of implied um, sense of uh, of poetry, a really good poem kind of imply, implies something or points your brain somewhere else when you're reading it. Mm. And uh, so that helped me to, it helped spark, sparked ideas in my head. And so I, I would often be reading something like a Sharon Olds book or something, and I would have my notebook and, and a line of hers or, or something like that would um, would make me think of something. I'd be like, oh yeah, like, yeah, there's that time where, you know, you we we did like carve our initials in the tree or you know like things like that it, it's sort of like a memory trigger sometimes that was really great to to read poetry and and to be influenced by that well it's great having you on between the covers kevin thank you very much you're talking today with Portland writer Kevin Samsel, the author of This Is Between Us from Ten House Books. You've been listening to Between the Covers. I'm David Naiman, your host. <laughs>